0: Okay, so welcome back. Um, after a long break, uh, well, we had, a, we had a couple of shiurim before Tishrei, but that was not on Navi, so it's been, um, we've been doing Navi, and we stopped that before the summer, so it's been a number of months. We uh, reached Melachim Bez, Perich Yudches, chapter 18 of Melachim Bez. Um, very, very quick backdrop and reminder of what we're holding. Are so, you recording? I am, yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, Melachim is, as the name indicates, the kings. And it's a story of the kings of Klal Yisrael. Um, and the kings of Klal Yisrael, uh, lasted throughout a, a period of time from just before the beginning, the building of the first Beis HaMikdash until the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash. That was the only time that we had kings, official anointed kings of Klal Yisrael. Um, which is a period of I don't know, let's say uh, some 450 years, approximately, in which we had kings. And again, since then we haven't had kings until we're waiting for the Melech HaMashiach when Mashiach will come. Um, the Klal Yisrael comes into our Yisrael after Moshe passes away with Yeshua, and they spend um, a couple hundred years there before the anointing of the first king. And that's for reasons that we're not going to go over now. But the first king was Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech was anointed by, uh, by Shmuel, and he was the first king of Klali Yisrael, of everyone together, the, the whole Jewish people. Uh, Shaul HaMelech was king for some time. Ultimately, he fell out of Hashem's favor because of the primary story when he didn't uh, when he didn't destroy Amalek. And it was his son-in-law, David HaMelech, who became the second king of Klali Yisrael. Um... But though Dover Malach was the second king of Klal Yisroel, in many ways he's considered the first king because he is from Shevet Yehuda. And we know all the way back to Yaakov Avinu that ultimate royalty and kingship in Klal Yisroel was promised to Shevet Yehuda. When Yaakov was on his deathbed and he gives the baruchas to his sons, he promises to his son Yehuda, Yehuda The royalty will always belong to Yehuda until Mashiach will come. So, Shaul was the first king, but he wasn't the right shavit, so to speak. It was a borrowed concept. In fact, the word Shaul means to be borrowed. Um, and therefore, his son in law, the second king, is the king that the kingdom is promised to him and his descendants forever, and that is David Hamelech. And he reigns over all of Klal Yisrael. Um, as we know, David Hamelech, towards the end of his life, wants to build the base of Mikdash, and Hashem says, It will be your son who will actually build it. You prepare everything. David bought the plot or bought the ground. And prepared it. But ultimately, his son, Shleim HaMelech, who is his successor, the third king of Klael Yisrael, Shleim Ha-Melech, and he builds the first Besam Mikdash. Um, so those are the first three kings of the Jewish people and the only three kings who reigned over the entire Jewish people. Because after Shleim HaMelech dies, so his son succeeds him. And his son is Rechavam. But it's at that time that there is a major split The split of the ten tribes versus the two tribes. And again, I'm saying this very short. These are things that we spent a lot of time on. But we have the split of the ten tribes versus the two tribes. The two tribes is always led by a king of Malchai-based David, a king from the descendants of David, from the tribe of Yehuda. And they're always in Yerushalayim. And those are the two tribes. Uh, The ten tribes are led by an assortment of kings from a assortment of different tribes. They are never in Yerushalayim. They're usually centered in the Shomron. Um, and their kings might be from Ephraim or from Anasha or from really a, new, a number of Shvatim. It wasn't any one specific shavit And that rift never, is, never comes together um, until the, the destruction of everyone, as we'll see and as we're learning. Um, so for hundreds of years, Klal Yisrael splits up into two kingdoms. Two kingdoms that are sometimes at war with each other, and sometimes they're at peace with each other, but two kingdoms. The kingdom of the ten tribes, the kingdom of the two tribes. And again, the two tribes are Yehuda, led by Yehuda, and it's Binyamin, Yehuda and Binyamin, and the ten tribes are the other ten. Levi is not part of this, Levi is a little here, a little there. Um, And of course there's, you know, single people here and there as well who who, uh, cross lines, but as tribes, it's the ten versus the two. And the story of Malachim, the story of the book of Malachim, is really the is uh, tracing and following the two stories, the two the two kingdoms of the Jewish people, the ten tribes and the two tribes. As I mentioned, the first king of the two tribes was Yeravam, son of Shlomo HaMelech. The first king of the ten tribes, I'm sorry, did I say Yeravam? The first king of the two tribes was Rechavam. I, I don't know if I said that correctly. Rechavam, the son of Shlomo HaMelech, The first king of the ten tribes is Yeravam, Yeravam ben Nevat. Now, Yeravam ben Nevat, though when he starts, is a tremendous Torah scholar and most likely a tzaddik, but he goes totally bad. Um, uh, Yeravam ben Nevat becomes not just a tremendous idolatrous person, but one who really introduces idolatry to Klal in a much greater way than ever was until his time. Um, Yeravim erects idols on the way, on the roads that lead towards Yerushalayim, and he forbids any of the ten tribes to go to Yerushalayim, to go to the Beis HaMikdash. Um, he creates another home, another altar, another Beis HaMikdash, if you will. And Yeravim really brings idolatry to Kal Yisrael, and Yeravim is seen as one of the worst people in the history of Kali Yisrael, as far as, as the Mishnah says in Pirkei He sinned, but brought brought more significantly, or worse than his own sinning, is he brought sinfulness to Klal Yisrael as a whole. And he began the 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 kingdom of the Ten Tribes, and throughout their history, throughout the few hundred years of the Ten Tribes, by and large, they were primarily idolatrous, and again, these are things that we learned over a year and a half or whatever it was that we spent on it. We went through king by king by king by king and saw how some are worse than others. But by and large, the ten tribes were idolatrous and led by idolatrous kings with some exceptions. That's on the side of the ten tribes. On the side of the two tribes, though, it's very, very different. There the kings are by and large, not always, but by and large, tzaddikim, and following in the ways of Hashem. And there's plenty of problems over there. And there is some idolatry from time to time. But um, far better. The two tribes versus the ten tribes. Um, I see a question where we're holding. We didn't begin. We're still doing a review. And we're going to be beginning by chapter 18. Perich Yud Ches in Malachim Beis. That's where we're going to be starting. Okay, so we were learning about the story of the ten and the two, and as it went year by year, and the Tanakh, the Navi goes back and forth. We spend a parak with the ten and then a parak with the two, back and forth, king by king, um, going through the tribes. What we've reached, and what we finished with in the end of, when we finished chapter 17 in Malachim Base, is we finished a very important um, section, and that is really the end of the ten tribes, which is when the ten tribes are exiled. Um, as as I just said, and as we've seen, the ten tribes were um, idolatrous. And they kept on getting warnings from Hashem. And typically, they didn't listen to them. And ultimately, they were exiled by the kings of Ashur, of the Assyrians, that were the that was the major kingdom of that time, of that period in time. Um, we're talking, I don't have the exact years here, but we're talking a good... Uh, I would say 250 years after the building of the second base uh, after the building of the first base on um, or closer to 300 years after the building of the first base on and it's after, I believe, it, there was 19 kings of the ten tribes. Another was starting with the first one being Yeravam ben Nevat. When they broke off, there was 19 kings in that time. The 19th and final king of the ten tribes of the Saras Hashvatim was Hosea ben Ela. Hosea ben Ela is the final king of the Ten Tribes. And it was in his day that the uh, the Melech of Ashur, the king of Assyria, I think his name was Pileser, if I remember correctly. There was a few different kings of Ashur. But I think at that time it was Pileser. And he came, and he exiled the, the remnants, the remainders of the Ten Tribes. Um, he It'll it already it had already begun over the last few kings of the ten tribes that Ashur would come, the Assyrians would come and exile another portion of their land and another portion of their land. But it was in his time of Hishab and Elah that they were they were decimated. they were totally um, exiled and the way of the time was that the uh, the monarch who would come and conquer, would basically exile everyone from the country. And that way he made it that they weren't coming back, and this was his new country. And that's what happened to the Aserah Seshvotim. Um, and of course, that's one of the uh, great debates of all time, exactly if they are in a certain place, or if they were scattered all over the world, You know, are there remnants of them? What will be when Moshiach will come? Is a famous question discussed in many sfarim, uh, Ramban writes in Chumash that the Aseres Ashvatim will return with the coming of Mashiach and that will be Mashiach's, uh, one of Mashiach's jobs to find them and return them and that's the Sheetah, the Ramban and the sheet I think that many or most go with but from that time already there was no Asaras Ashvatim in Eretz Yisrael um, even halachically once the ten tribes left Eretz Yisrael certain mitzvahs of Eretz Yisrael stopped for example the Yovel the Yovel, the um, be uh, stop totally, the Shemitah stop becoming binding um, from a Torah, ter- uh, Miday the Torah Shemitah, which is dependent on the yovel because the, once the majority of the Jewish people are not in Israel anymore, so these mitzvahs cease to exist. The, again, the yovel and certain parts of the Shemitah that stopped once the ten tribes left. Okay, and that's really where we finished. In the end of Perich, again, Yud Zion was when um, Hosea ben Ela, when his uh, but they were, they were uh, exiled. Um, there was an, another side interesting story at the end about that the, the king of uh, Assyria settled um, those parts of Israel with other people. Those other people weren't Jewish and they weren't keeping to our mitzvahs at all. And they were attacked by lions and many of them converted, but it wasn't a real conversion. That was an interesting story right at the end, of the last peric that we learned a couple of months ago. And that brings us to chapter Yudchas peric, Yudchas peric 18. Um, and what we're going to do now is go to the two tribes, because though the ten tribes are gone now and their, their story is over, from here until the end of the Sefer Malachim, which is another eight or nine chapters, um, now we, dis- we deal with the two tribes who are going to be there for another hundred years or so before the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's where we go to in Perik Ches. And we're going to come to one of the greatest kings of the two, that ever was of the two tribes, one of the holiest uh, kings and one of the greatest Sadiqim ever to live, and that is the king Chizkiyahu. Sometimes he's called Chizkia or Chizkiyahu, and we begin his story here tonight. So the pasuk says, for those following with the Tanakh, It was during the third year of the reign of Hoshea Ben Ela. Remember, Hoshea Ben Ela is the one of is the last one of the ten tribes. So when he was three years into his reign. So um Malach Chiskah ben Achaz Malach Yehuda. Now there's a new king um, in the two tribes in the tribe in the Yehuda, and that is hiskia the son of Achaz. Pasik says he was 25 years old when he began, and he was gonna be a king for 29 years in Yerushalayim. This was the king Chiskiah. And the, and the Navi is very, uh, the, the one who writes this Navi is Yirmiyoh. Yermiyo, as I believe we've mentioned in the past, is the one who writes Sefer from Malachim. And he's uh, very lavish with his praise of Hiskiyo. He says, yoshar he, he was always just in the ways of Hashem. And the big thing in those days was idolatry. And he removed any remnants of idolatry. Um, it's important to note that Chizkiyoh's father, was, the king before him, was Ahaz, was one of the few idolatrous kings of the two tribes. Ahaz was one of the exceptions and he was idolatrous. Ahaz's father was a tzaddik. Yosam. Ahaz's grandfather was a tzaddik. Ahaz's son is a tzaddik, Chizkiyo. But Ahaz himself served as a king and he was an idolatrous king and he brought a lot of... Um, he himself was idolatrous and, there, and therefore there was idolatry in his time. So the first thing Chizkiyo had to do as king was to remove the idolatry that his father had reinstated in the land. And it says that he removed all the Bamos, all of those uh, foreign um, uh, altars and the different forms of idolatry and the trees that were built for idolatry. He destroyed all of this. And then it says something interesting, that he destroyed the Nechash HaNechoshes that Moshe Rabbeinu made. What is that? All the way back in Chumash. So we're talking about many hundreds of years earlier. Um, I think it's in the Torah portion of Chukas that there was a plague of snakes when the Jewish people were in the desert. And there the Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu made a snake out of copper, and he put it up on some type of a tall pole, and people would look up to it, and they would be inspired to tshuva. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu averted that plague that affected the Jewish people then. Now, this um, copper snake hasn't been mentioned in Tanakh ever. Since Moshe Rabbeinu made it, again, uh, many hundreds of years earlier, some seven, 800 years earlier. And here suddenly it's mentioned. And it seems that that copper um, a snake had become something that some people had served as an idol, even though this was made by Moshe Rabbeinu. So it was made with the ultimate kedusha, the ultimate holiness. Nevertheless, because it seemed to have healing powers. Moshe Rabbeinu makes this copper uh, snake. People are bitten, people are smitten, and they're dying. They look at the copper snake and they're healed. Now, of course, we know the reason they're healed is because when they looked at that snake, they were inspired to do tshuva, and the tshuva healed them. But idolatrous people are always looking for excuses, and they saw, wow, this is a copper snake that has healing powers. And then for certain people started serving that snake. And it seems that that was just there. And this king, Hiskiyohu made a point, and the Navi makes a point of telling us, that he actually destroyed the copper snake that Moshe Rabbeinu made. Um, because until that time, there were people who would actually bring sacrifices to it, and they gave it a name, Nechushtan. And therefore, hiski Yahu destroyed that snake as well. Um, the commentaries talk about the fact that others, until that no one ever destroyed that. Uh, some were afraid, you know, it's something that Moshe Rabbeinu made. How, you know, who would touch it? Who would dare touch it? Um, and the, the Gemara says something interesting. It says, sometimes a person thinks, like, who am I to do something? If, if it would have been important to be done, then the people in the generation before me should have done it, or my grandfather, or my grandparents, or whatever, someone should have done it earlier. And they say, we, le- we learn from here that when you see something has to be done, one shouldn't think, well, someone else should have done it, and if no one else did it, probably it shouldn't be done. Rather, no, Yo sees that this snake is a problem, even though Moshe Rabbeinu made it, and he takes the initiative, and he even destroys that snake. The passage goes on, and says in Pasuk, hey, Bashem Yisrael He had a tremendous bitochon in Hashem, tremendous faith in Hashem. And this is a um, this is a praise that we don't find either by the kings before him. We said some said about them they were tzaddikim, but specifically to talk about his level of bitochon, his level of faith. And as we'll see in the story, hopefully we'll get to tonight, that he exhibited an extraordinary level of bitachon in Hashem. And here the Pasik makes a point of it. That he had this, this tremendous Bitachon in Hashem, and then it says a most powerful statement: There was no one else like him. B'chol Yehuda and all the kings of Yehuda, Asher hayula not after him and not before him. Chazal say, aside from David HaMelech himself and Shlomo HaMelech, but all of the kings that were king over only Yehuda, as of the two tribes, there was no one who reached this level of cheskiyo HaMelech. He was the ultimate level. That the Torah talks about of, of holiness as a king. In fact, the Gemara famously says, The, the was one of those people about, about whom it says that he was worthy and Hashem, so to speak, wanted that he should be Mashiach. Um, the time wasn't worthy of it. There were certain critiques against him, which we'll get to when we get to the story. But um, the fact that the Gemara tells us, Tells us this about him. Just tells us about how Chazal and the Navi looks at him as one of the greatest kings that we have ever had. Um, it goes on. He he connected to Hashem. He never went away from the ways of Hashem. He kept his mitzvahs. Whatever Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, that was so. He was perfect with Hashem, and Hashem was with him. <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem was with him. And he was successful in every area. In everything that he did, he was successful. Um, the Gemara says, there's so much that it doesn't say in the Navi, but the Gemara tells us it was a time of tremendous Torah knowledge, that he, he made sure that the school system was tremendous. It says that there was no ignorant people in all of, in all of uh, Yerushalayim, anywhere that was under his reign. It was a time of tremendous learning and tremendous knowledge and tremendous spirituality, the time of Chiskiyo HaMelech. Now, Vayimrod B'Melech Ashur Velo Avadu. He rebelled in the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Um, the king of Assyria had just, it's in this time that he's going to destroy and uh, exile the ten tribes. But interestingly, the king of Assyria had a connection with the two tribes as well. And that is because the father of this Chiskiyahu, the previous king, which was Ahaz, made a pact with the king of Assyria. In fact, and this goes back to something we learned in the past, but the ten tribes and the two tribes had been in war, so that the king of the two tribes, which was Achaz, who was not a good king, made a pact with the king of Assyria that he should help him against the ten tribes. And he did. So that really the two tribes were, had a pact with, the, with Assyria, which means really they were subservient to Assyria, that was a superpower. But Chizkiyahu stopped it. Chiskiyo st- stopped serving and stopped sending any taxes to the Melachasha, the king of Assyria. He did not feel that he had to, or that it was appropriate. Um, it says he was he was uh, the king. Chiskiyo was, was successful in various battles against the Pelishtim and so on. Okay, it says the pasuk. The pasuk says it was the fourth year of the reign of Chiskiyahu, which is when Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, um, lays siege to Shomron. Okay, before I mentioned pil that was an earlier king of Assyria that started the exile of the ten tribes earlier, but now we're with Shalmaneser, a new king of Assyria, and he lays the siege against the ten tribes, and he spends three years with it, and ultimately, after three years, the Shomron is captured, the ten, the ten tribes are totally exiled into the various lands of the Pasig, enumerates and pasig and in Paseyid it says, because, and this was all the ultimate punishment for the ten tribes for all those years, excuse me, that they did not go in the ways of Hashem. Now, in the, so that that took three years. Now he says, it was in the fourteenth year of the king of Chizkiyot, so already the ten tribes are out of the picture, the ten tribes are finished, they're exiled. Chizkiyot now is the king for, in the fourteenth year, Samkheriv, the king of Ashur, the famous Samkheriv, who was the king of Asher? It says about him that he was the uh, uh, the king, the monarch, the superpower, the reigning king in the world, a tremendously powerful king, and a tremendously wicked king. Um, in Hasidus and Kabbalah, is used as the example for someone who was in total denial of Hashem, total denial, total um, uh, in in the worst way. It says he's when when the uh, the, the Sfarim of Hasidus talk about different levels of klipa, it talks about Paro talks about Bilam, but it says the worst of Sancheirev. Sancheirev is someone who just openly taunted Hashem in every way, as we'll see even today. So it was at this point, 14 years into the kingdom of Chizkiah, that Sancheirev, king of Ashur comes and wages, starts waging war against the two tribes. Sancheirev wants to destroy the entire Jewish people. He was successful with 10 tribes. He feels he's done the majority of it. Now he'll now he'll finish up his business with the remaining two tribes. And he comes up and he starts battling with various cities that were part of the two tribes. Um, and he's somewhat successful. He starts conquering some of the cities. So it says that Chizkiah, the king of Yehuda, sends to the king of Ah, sends to Samkheriv, who's uh, then, uh, he's encamped in a place called Lachish. And he says, you know what, I'm sorry I sinned, that I don't send you any more taxes, that I rebelled against you. He says give me a tax. Tell me what I'll do. Let's 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 make peace. Let's, let's, let's not go to war. And Sarhirif says okay and he gives him a tremendous amount of monies that he has to pay. 330 kikar uh, I'm sorry 300 kikar of, of silver, uh, uh, an exorbitant amount of silver and then and then a great amount of gold as well. And Ghiskia says okay, he takes whatever monies he has, whatever he has saved up in 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 the in uh, the Besamikdash, and in his own um, treasure houses, and he sends them to San Kheriv. It says even, he went so far as the, the, wa- the doors of the Besamiktas that were that were covered with gold, he chipped off the gold and sent them as well to send the tax. However, San Kheriv wasn't happy with this. After San Kheriv took all the tax, took all the money, he still wanted to come up and, and he wanted to um, banish them from Yerushalayim. He wanted to totally destroy Klal Yisrael. So the Pasik Yudzayin, it says that San Kheriv, king of Ashur, send a few emissaries, says their names, Tartan, and Rav uh, Ravshake is the main one. And uh, Rav Shoke, according to the Gemara, is a, a Jewish, um, what's the word, someone who converted out of Judaism. And um, he converted and he became a tremendous anti-Semite. And he was one of the uh, chief people of Sancheir. And his name was Rav Shoke. And so Sancheirer sends these emissaries, headed by Rav Shake, to the King Chizkio, and he sends them with a tremendous, uh, with tremendous um, soldiers and guards, a whole battalion of soldiers, and they come to Yerushalayim, and they come in a central place outside of Yerushalayim, some one of the uh, the water, the huge water, um, I don't know, conduits or whatever it was, and he stands over there, and he calls for the king. He says, bring me the king, bring me the king of the Jewish people, I have a message from Sancheirev, the king of Ashur." And so so Chizkiyot doesn't go out to him, but he sends some of his men, a man named Eliyokim ben Hilkiyohu, Shavna Hasefer, Yoach ben Yasaf, in other words some of the dignitaries of the Jewish people go out to hear what this emissary of Sancheirev has to say. And Rav starts saying, he says, tell Chizkiyohu so says the great king, the king of Assyria. He says, "Who are you trusting in? How dare you you uh, flaunt and, and you don't come to become a servant of mine?" He says, "You speak words, but what power do you have?" He says, "Where do you place your trust to 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 try to, to think that you're going to be able to fight off?" The king of Assyria, again, who's the superpower of the time. Do, are you trusting in the Egyptians, he says? The Mitzriam? are nothing compared to me. He makes fun. He mocks the Mitzriam. And he says, what are you telling me you're trusting? You're placing your trust in Hashem, in the Jewish God? He says, he says he's not going to listen to you anyway. First of all, he says one of the things that Chizkiyot did was he had everyone destroy all the altars in uh, under his domain. And he said, you can only serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So he says, look, you destroyed all your altars. They can't even, you can't even, how can you How can you expect that Hashem should help you if you destroyed all the altars? Now, of course, that's a ridiculous statement because he would destroy the altars for Avi Desar. But, but this is what Rav Shakeh is saying. And then he says, and anyway, he says, how could you fight someone as great as the king of Ashur? He's, he's taunting him. He says, if I would give you 2,000, he says, if I would give you 2,000 horses, could you even fill them with 2,000 warriors? He says, my master has hundreds of thousands of warriors. And every every tiny, every little commander has 2,000 warriors under him. He says, I, I, I challenge you. I'll give you 2,000 horses. Let's see if you can come up with 2,000 warriors. You don't even have that? And it was true. Um, His army was a very small army. It was a very decimated army. And he says, he says, um, he says, you should know that we're coming up to Yerushalayim, we're coming to destroy this place. And he says, nothing that you can do is going to stop us from destroying Yerushalayim and destroying everything here. So this is the message of Rav Shaket again, the Jewish uh, convert, no, this is the convert, he converted out of Judaism, uh, who's saying in the name of the king of Ashur, he's saying these words against Chizkiyot, it says, tell us that Chizkiyot, your God can't help you, nobody can help you, we're going to be destroying you. So the three messengers, el and Shavna and Yoach, the messengers of King Chiskyo, tell him, he says, don't talk in Hebrew. You know, just talk to us. We understand your language also. We don't need everyone to hear what you're saying. The, all the people, all the townsfolk. And Rav Sheke says, no. He says, no, I want everyone to hear. And he starts addressing all the people. And he says, he starts calling it, he talks in Hebrew, because he's, remember, he was initially, he was Jew. he was born Jewish. And he talks in Hebrew and he addresses all the people in Yerushalayim, he says, "Listen, the words of the great king of Ashur." He says, "This is what the king says: Don't follow Hiskiyo. he can't help you today, and don't let Chiskiyoh tell you that God can help you, that Hashem can help you, and that this ki- that this city won't be given over to the king of Ashur." He says, "So says the king of Ashur: If you want to have, you want to find grace in his eyes, leave Yerushalayim and come to him. I'll give each person uh, their their own vineyard and their own." Uh, their own fig trees and so on, you'll be able to live and peacefully, but you have to leave your king, you have to leave Chizkiyot and you'll find another land, you won't be in Yerushalayim again this was their thing, they would exile everyone, it says come to me, I'll find you a place to live and he says, nobody can save you from the hands of the king of Ashur, and he starts, uh, he starts counting out all the different countries and the nations that he had decimated he says, where is the, the gods of Hamas and Arpad and Sfarvim and Henea and Iza? He's counting, you know, nation after nation that the king of Ashur had decimated. And he says, nobody was able to stand up to the king of ratzos, Who's there amongst all the gods of all the lands, was able to stand up against us. And that was his announcement to the Jewish people. And they didn't respond. Pasuk says everyone was quiet. They didn't answer because that's what Chizkiyot said. Nobody should answer the words of Rav and, and Rav Shake turns around and he leaves. So the emissaries of Chizkiyot come back now to the palace, to Hiskiyo. It says, Krui begodim, they rent their garments and they come before the king Chizkiyot. Why did they rent their garments? So on a pshat level, because they were, they were sad. They were, they were destroyed. They were devastated by what they had heard. The Gemara says, especially because of the blasphemy that they heard, that he spoke against Hashem, he cursed Hashem, he blasphemized, and that's why they rent their garments. That's a halacha. When one hears blasphemy, one should actually do kriya. And we learn it from these people who did that and they came before Hiskiyo. That's Perikyut Ches. So Perikyut Ches begins, When Chiskiyah hears what they said, so Chiskiyah himself also rents his garments, he also he, he rips his clothing. And he puts on sackcloth and ashes, very similar to the story of Mordechai later in Megillah Esther. And he sends them to the Navi, who is the Navi of the time, or who is the greatest Navi of the time, is the Navi Yeshayahu, one of the great Naviim that we have. Is the Navi Yeshayahu, who is one of the Naviim who prophesized redemption. A lot, a lot, of the prophecies, a lot of the main prophecies of Geula, are from the Navi Yeshayahu, and he lived at this time, in the same time of Chizkiyahu Melech Yehuda. So when Yhiskyo hears these tremendous threats from the king of Ashur, he sends his shluchim, these three emissaries who heard those threats from Shekei, he sends them to Yishayo Hanovi, and, mm-hmm. and he says, they come to Yishayo and they say, this is what the King Hiskyo says. This is a day of tsura, this is a day of uh, this is a day of of, of uh, terrible uh, concern for Klal Yisram. And this is a day that we've come to a terrible place, we have no way out of this. And he says, we were asking that Hashem should hear those words of blasphemy that Ravshake said in the name of the king of Ashur that they that they spoke against Hashem and Hashem's Kaya. And they came and so again the king Chizkiyo sends his servants to Yishayo Hanovi to plead with him, to Davan to Hashem, to save them from this impending this terrible impending tzorah. So Yim Pasigvov, Vav, Tells them, this is what you should tell your master. Go back and tell hiskio the following. Hashem. So as Hashem said, Altira, do not fear. Um, don't fear from these words that you heard of those who blasphemized and talked against Hashem. Hashem says, I will give, I will put within him a spirit. He will hear a shmua, He will hear something. You'll hear. A, um, how do you say a shmua? So He'll hear a message, and he will return to his land. And ultimately, he will fall by sword in his land. That's what the Navi Yeshayahu tells the messengers to go back and tell Chizkiyah that even though they just heard the worst uh, threats. And they're basically being told that the Assyrians are coming with their super armies to destroy Klai Yisrael. Says So Hashem said Hashem is going to put it in his head that he has to go somewhere else. Ultimately, he's going to leave and he's going to fall. He's going to be killed in his own land. So they come that they come, and they tell that to Cheskiyah. They go back out to see this Rav Shake, again, the emissary of of uh, Sancheiriv, and they see exactly that's what happened. That somehow they got a they got a message that the king of of kush whose name was T- tirhaka had had was battling against some of the provinces of sanher so sanher says let's take our armies and go elsewhere let's leave Yerushalayim for a little bit and we have to take care of some business we have to battle the king of Mitzrayim and the king the king of kush but he but they say, they leave a message with the jewish people and they say go batalkhiskiyo we didn't forget about them in other words, it's not, it's just a bump in the road. We're not, we're not uh, giving up, we're coming back to get you. It's just that meanwhile, we were attacked in certain other places, so we have to go take care of business there, but we're coming back to get you. They make sure to tell in Pasigud, don't, don't uh, think that Hashem is saving you over here, by the one who you're trusting in. He says, you know what we did to all of the other countries and all the other nations, and don't think you're going to be saved. And again he says, all the other gods didn't save their nations from us. And again he talks about the whole thing. He says, where is the king of Hamas and the king of Arpad and the king of Loir and Sfarvoyim? All of these are places that they had conquered and decimated. Chizkiyot the king takes, so these are all, uh, these are written, written messages from the Assyrians, the Jewish people. Chizkiyot takes those messages and brings them to the Besamiktosh. And he, showed, he, he puts them out in the Beis HaMikdash, the messages and in which it's written, these um, devastating threats from the Assyrians that were coming back to get you shortly. And then Chizkiyohu says a very famous and very beautiful tefillah in the Beis HaMikdash. And in fact, parts of this tefillah, you might recognize from our Siddur, that we say different parts of this tefillah. In Sarts and Posit Fa Yispalel Hashem, davens before Hashem, Vayeh meri Hashem ala Yisrael, Yoshiva Kruvim, Hashem who sits among, uh, you know, above the kruvim of the aron. Atahu alakim levadcha. You are the only God. Lachol over all the kingdoms of the world. Atasisas shemayim vesarus. You made heaven and earth. Hate Hashem oznecha u'shama. Hashem hearken, listen. Pekach Hashem inecharei. Open your eyes and see. U'shma and listen to the words that Sancheiriv said, who was blasphemy. Whose his words of blasphemy against Hashem. He says, it's true that they were successful, the Assyrians against all the other nations, and they destroyed nations, and they destroyed their gods. But those, what kind of gods are those? Those are gods made out of stone. But now Hashem, save us from His hands. May all the kingdoms of the world know that you are the only Hashem. This is the Tefillah of Chizkiyo, again, it's a, a famous Tefillah in Tanakh, it's a short Tefillah, only a few psukim long, but where Chizkiyo, in desperation, turns to Hashem in the Beis Amikdash, um t- t- talking about those threats that he had just received, uh, really death threats for him and his nation, from the Assyrian king. Now, Chizkiyo just happened in the Beis HaMikdash. Yeshayahu, the navi, wasn't with him. But Yeshayahu immediately got a response from Hashem to Chizkiyo's Tefillah. And therefore, Yeshayo now sends a messenger to Hiskiyo in Pasukchach. V'yishlach son of Amoitz, sends to Hiskiyo, So has Hashem said, Asher palalta a lie concerning the tefillah that you just have to me. El Sancheirev melech Ashur, about Sancheirev, about the threat of Sancheirev, king of Asher. Shamati, I heard your tefillah. Hashem and this is what Hashem said, and he goes on to say a very allegoric, um, an allegoric new, uh, prophecy, but basically he's taunting Sanhedrin. He says, "Who are you starting up with?" He says, "Your, your, your words of blasphemy. Who uh, against whom did you raise your voice? You raised your eyes upward to the Kadosh Yisrael, to the Holy God of Klal Yisrael. Um, you said it through your servants, and you talked about your might." He says, uh, "He says, I have allowed you." I, Hashem says, "I have allowed you to be a, victorious over other nations." Um, but ultimately, it's all what I allowed you in the world that I made. Um, again, if it's a very, very, it's a very allegoric uh, nevuah. But basically, he says that everything comes from me, and whatever you were victorious comes from me. When you came home, when you came, you went to war, and you came back from war, and now you're trying to get me angry. Hashem says. He says, because you talked in this way, in this way of blasphemy against Hashem, he says, I will put, um, he says, like when you, you have an animal and you put the uh, the yoke on the animal or you put something in the nose of the animal, I'm going to put that in you and I'm going to bring you back to where you came from. He says, um, he says, you're not even going to, uh, I'm sorry, he turns to Chiskyo and says, he says, you don't worry, you'll be in Yerushalayim. And next year you'll eat from the produce of the ground. And in two years, and in three years, and this, and you're going to stay here. Jerusalem is going to be fully safe. He says the king of Assyria is not even going to come into your... There won't even be a battle. He says there won't be even an arrow thrown in Yerushalayim. and there won't be a um, a shield in Jerusalem. And there will they will be able to. In the olden days, one of the things they did was every every city was surrounded by a wall, so they would build. Like they would build uh, uh, like uh, bridges or whatever to get into the city. He says nothing is going to be built around the city. In the same way that Sancheira came, he's going to go back home. He's never going to enter into the city. I, Hashem, says the I am the protection for this city. Avdi. I am going to bring salvation to the city for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant, who, of course, Chizkiyahu is a descendant and ultimately successor of. That was the nevuah that Chizkiyahu, I'm sorry, that Yishayahu sent to Chizkiyahu. Again, Chizkiyahu was the king and Chizkiyahu went to the of Amikdash and said that beautiful tefillah begging for Hashem's protection. And Yeshayahu, the Navi, receives a response from Hashem, sends a messenger to Chizkiyahu that Hashem has responded, He has heard your tefillah, He has promised you His protection, and Hashem promised that there's not going to be a battle even. There's no battle, there's no war, there's nothing to worry about. And that night, that night was the first night of Pesach. That night, in the first night of Pesach, Sancheirev had his entire army that was amassed around Yerushalayim. And it was, a, it was an army of hundreds of thousands. And Chizkiyot was with his, whatever he had, in Yerushalayim, a very tiny army. It says that night Chizkiyot went to sleep. He said, I to sleep. He said, Hashem. I said, I said, Hashem, I can't do anything. There's no way I can battle at all this army. I placed my full bitokhin in you, my full trust in you. And he was able to go to sleep. And we said earlier that one of the beautiful things it says about Hiskiyo was his level of bitokhin, his level of trust in Hashem. And here he exhibited that when his nation was on the brink of annihilation, on a, from a natural uh, standpoint, he placed his total trust in Hashem, and he went to sleep. And here we have one of the greatest Nisim ever recorded in Tanakh, maybe the greatest Nisim Tanakh, Pasek lamet hay, Vayhi Balayla, who was on that night, Malach Hashem, a, a Malach, a messenger of Hashem went out, Vayach Bemachana Ashur, he just killed, in the in the Machen, in the encampment of the Assyrians Mayamainim the Hamisha Eleph, hundred and eighty thousand people died that night hundred eighty thousand soldiers. this was the the vast the majority of of Sancheirv's army. Sanjeir's army numbered it says hundreds of thousands but 185 thousand that was the majority of the army and they just died in their sleep A Malach Hashem came and he killed them all. And by Yeshkim of Abaikar, when everyone woke in the morning, or whoever was left woke in the morning, vihine kulam pigare mesim. Everyone was just dead. There was this plague, an unexplainable plague, in which 185,000 people died overnight. An entire army was wiped out. And that was the punishment of for Sancheiriv for his blasphemy. The only one in Tanakh who taunts Hashem in that way. Sancheiriv didn't die. Zahrev so gets up, and with his bodyguards, whoever's with him still alive, and he sees what happened. He just lost his entire army. They all died. Ba'isa, he, he runs away. And he goes back, and the king of Ashur comes to Ninveh. We know the city of Ninveh, which is a great big city, and uh, later in the story of Yonah. But uh, the Ninveh was a, an important city of Ashur, of the Assyrians in their time. He comes to Ninveh, and he goes into his, um, his uh, idol. He wants to bow there. Um, in the, his, his Abedizah was called Nisraich, that was the name and as he comes there, he has two sons you, they see their father, how he had just fallen into this old disgrace, he just lost his entire army he just lost everything, and they killed him there the two sons, Abder Melech and Sharetzer, killed Sancheirev and they ran away to a different city and another son became the king of Assyria after Sancheirev and this is the tremendous <coughs> miracle of the downfall of Sancheirev and his massive armies who promised the annihilation of the Jewish people in this very miraculous way on the night of Pesach. Um, interesting that the Haftarah, that we say on the last day of Pesach, a very famous Haftarah, the one that talks about, again, some of the greatest prophecies of Mashiach, which was said by Yishayahu, was said concerning this nes, concerning this miracle of the downfall of Sancheirev, Melech Asher. And the reason it said it, uh, we say it on the last day of Pesach, is because this happened on Pesach. This happened on the first night of Pesach, which we know is called the Lil Shimurim, a special night of guarding. Just like the first great miracle of Yitzei Es happened on that night, this great miracle, the sa- saving of Yerushalayim from the hands of Sancheiriv, also happened on that first night of Pesach. And we say it after on the last day of Pesach specifically because. It's all about the last day of Pesach is connected with Mashiach, especially as we know by Chizidim, so Mashiach, and so on. That it's the end of the end of the whole Pesach is connected to Geula, and Chizkiyoh is connected with Mashiach. We said earlier he was worthy to be Mashiach, and Yeshayo was the navi of Geula, but they all prophesize and talk about this tremendousness that happened on that time. Um, it's interesting. The, the medrush, one Medrash says, uh, the passage just says that the Malach killed all of the malach, all of the uh, all these people. But it doesn't say um, how or what exactly. The madras says that what happened was the malachim sang Shira. They, now, normal malachim are always singing Shira to Hashem, always singing the praises of the praises of Hashem. Typically, though, that cannot be heard by, by human beings. Over here, what they did, what Hashem did was he allowed that everyone should hear the shira. And when humans hear the Shira of the Malachim, they can't contain it. They can't handle it, they can't contain it, and they died. That's a, it's interesting. According to a medrash, that the, the way it actually happened was through a tremendous shira that was sung at that night. By I'm sorry, the shira is always sung, but the, they were they were enabled to hear the shira, and that's how they died. Again, of course, that's not in Pshad It says that the malach killed them, but according to one medrash, that is the way that they were put to death at that time. Um, this brings us to Perik Chav. Okay, you know, we'll go a little bit, a little bit further. Perikah. Um, and On these days, Chala chizkiyahu lamus. became very, very ill, and he was on his deathbed. He was, he was dying. And interestingly, even though this comes right after what we just learned, so it sounds like this happened after that war, really Chazal tell us it happened before the war. Um, and we, that's a general rule in Torah that not, th- things are not necessarily in chronological order. And according to the Chazal, this story that we're going to read now about the when Chizkiyahu became very ill and he was almost going to die happened just before this great miracle of the of the death of Sanhayeriv's armies. Be that as it may, he became very sick, and Yishayahu came to visit, visit him again. Yishayahu was the novi, Chizkiyahu was the king. Yishayahu ben Amites is the novi. The king is deathly ill, so the navi comes to visit. And the navi tells the king, he says, He says, uh, you know, tell your family whatever instructions you need. Give them over your last will and testament because you're going to be dying. This is your, uh, this is it. You're deathly ill because you're dying.' And Chiskiyo turns his face to the wall and starts davening." Again, Chizkio was a big davener. We had his beautiful fill in the previous parikh. We have it now. He turns his face to the wall, and he davenes by Yispaala Hashem, Ona Hashem, Zecharnes Asher Salachti Lufanecha BeEmes Ve'Leivav Shalom. Remember how I've gone. I always went before you in truth with a complete heart. V'Atoy BeNecha Sisei. I always did only what was good in your eyes. V'Yef Chizkio B'chi Godel. And Chizkio cried. Um, and he cried. He he cried a tremendous. Uh, he cried. He cried. He cried his heart out to Hashem, asking Him to save his life. Interestingly, he had just been told by the Navi that he's going to die, and yet he didn't. Uh, it, that didn't stop him from turning to Hashem and davening to be saved. And this is one of the places Chazal learned from that we always daven, no matter what we daven, even if everything seems bleak, even if we got a message from Hashem Himself, so to speak, through a Navi. The Navi said, "Koyamar Hashem." So he was told, you know, games up. Still, a Yid never ever. Aid uh, never never gives up and always can turn to Hashem and Hashem has, has the ability not as the ability but can and does overturn a negative decree. When it comes to nevuah, a Navi a nevuah that is a negative nevuah can be overturned through tefillah and this is one of the examples brought for that. So Yeshayahu had left right because Yeshayahu came to visit the king. Then Yeshayahu told him that you're going to be dying, and now Yeshayahu left and Chizkiyahu starts davening. Before Yeshayahu is even able to leave the palace, And Hashem now again gives a new nevua to Yeshayahu, And he says, go back. Go back into the room. Go back to Hiskiyo And tell him, So Hashem said, the God of David, your father, I saw your davening. I saw your tears. I heard your davening. I saw your tears. I am going to heal you. and In three days, you'll be able to go to the Beis Amiktosh. From being deathly ill in bed, in three days, you'll be able to actually go to the Beis Hashem. And he says, I will add, I'm going to add to you now 15 years. 15 years, I'm going to add to your life. And I'm going to save you from the king of Assyria, from Ashur and the, I'll, be, I'll guard and protect your city. That's what I told you before, that this happened before the Big nace. right? Before the Big nace, Hashem is promising him, don't worry, you're going to be healed, you're going to have another 15 years of life, and I will save you from the king of Ashur. And um, so Yishayu comes in, and he's he's very happy to give over this nevuah because Yeshayo a few minutes ago, had given over a nevuah that that, uh, that Chizkiyot, the king, is going to die. And now, Chizkiyot Davin, and he was able to overturn that decree, and now Yishayot comes in and he gives him the Nivua. and he actually gives him something, he says, take some uh, some figs and put it on your body, and that's going to heal you. And um, Chizkiyot says, give me a sign. You, you just told me that I'm dying, now you tell me I'm going to live. Give me a sign that I'm going to live. So he says, the truth is, Hashem said the sign. The sign is that in three days you're going to be able to go to the Mikdash. But so Yishayot says, I'll give you another sign also. And he says, the sun goes by, uh, you know, degrees as it goes throughout the day. And in the olden days, that's how the clocks work. So he had the sun would move another degree, another degree, another degree. So he says, he says, choose. You want a sign, you could choose your sign. Either that the sun should suddenly move forward 10 degrees, or that the sun should suddenly move backward 10 degrees. Whichever you want. And that will be your sign that I'm telling you the true word of Hashem that you're going to live. And uh, Chizkiyo says, he says, you know, for some to move forward, you know, that's good. But to move back, that now is in the evening, to come back to the morning or close to the morning, that's a much bigger, uh, be a much bigger miracle. Let me see that. And Sheyo calls to Hashem and that's exactly what Hashem does. And um, and, and uh, Chizkiyo knows that this Nebuah is going to be happen and that's, of course, what happens. And he does gain another 15 years of his life. That is the uh, opening-ness of this chapter. Now there's a whole deeper part of this story of why, what was the reason for the sickness and what he promised and, and what the, uh, and what the uh, conclusion of the story is. But I think we'll leave that and we will continue from here Bez Hashem next week. So we'll see you then in Riz Hashem. Wow. Can I just ask a question? Of course.